no Sunday school kids to dismiss. That's perfect. Uh, in the first service, I went right into the message, and then I got this wave from says like, well, you're supposed to dismiss the kids. Great. Thank you for your grace. Well, it is good to be back together this morning in uh, this service and this series as we walk through some of our core values, our stated core values as a church. Uh, and I've said before, and I'll say again, that these could really be uh, picked up from us and planted in any Bible-believing church. These aren't necessarily unique to us, uh, but they are ones that, that we as a church have, have kind of worked together and put together and, 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 and say this is what we want to be about. You can find them all on our website, uh, trinitycanmore.com. In the little menu bar, there's an About Us section, and there's a Mission, Vision, and Values there. Uh, you'll note on that page that there are 10 values listed. We're not going to preach through all 10 because some of them sort of overlap and combine, and so we'll get a few of them together. But our last two weeks, we started two weeks ago in this series saying that Jesus matters, that everything we do is about him. Uh, he is the lead pastor of this church. He's, uh, it's his leadership that we follow. It's his example that we lean into. And ultimately, it was his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that is really the only reason we do anything. Now, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if, if Jesus is not risen, then we are to be pitied above all others. And so we lean into that, that Jesus is the center of all that we do. Then last week, we went to our, our second value, and we said that God's word matters. We believe that the Bible is God's word, living and active. It works in us. It convicts us of sin and teaches us to do what is good and what is right. We believe the Bible is sacred, that it's inspired, uh, not inspirational like a, a, an actor's performance or a sunrise, but inspired, breathed out by God. It reveals who he is. It's God's way of telling us who he is, what he's done, what that means for us, and how we can know him. And so those two are really the foundation for kind of everything else, that Jesus is the center and his word matters. This morning, for our third installment of the series, we want to talk about the gathering, actually what we're doing right here and right now. And so we've articulated this value by saying that Sundays matter. And it's not just that Sundays matter because it's the first day of the week. It's not just that Sundays matter because we've always done it this way. But Sundays matter because gathering matters. I think there's a, a very real sense in which the church is not yet fully the church until we gather together. And I know that I've said many times that Trinity Bible Church is not 1717 Bow Valley Trail. It's not a building in a place, but it's the people. And I stand by that. Yet until those people actually get in a space together, wherever that might be, whatever that might look like, a space where we can see one another eyeball to eyeball, where we can hear one another's voices, where we can give one another fist bumps and high fives and hugs. I don't think we're yet fully the church. And I say that fully aware that we're living in a time where there are lots of good reasons for us to be cautious about this. But this morning, I hope that I'll make the case that Sundays matter. Because Sunday, the gathering, informs every day. Because Sundays, our gathering informs the rest of the week. So, the main question for this morning, why does the church gather? And there's a lot of reasons. We'll look at a handful this morning. But first and foremost, again, the, the crux of everything, the key value of everything we do, the reason the church gathers is to make much of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We gather because Jesus became human. And he came to the very world that he created. 
He took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood to be with us. We gather because Jesus is Lord. We gather because he lived the life of obedience that we should have lived. But because we're imperfect, he died the death that our imperfection, our sin deserved. And then he rose again on the third day, conquering our three greatest enemies in Satan, sin, and death, so that whoever believes in him would no longer be guilty of sin, but would be made new by the Holy Spirit, alive and working and in us. We gather because Jesus brings abundant life now and for all eternity. That's why we gather. We gather because we are a forgetful people and we need to be reminded of Jesus' story of redemption. And so hopefully every Sunday when we gather, you hear the gospel multiple times. I hope you hear it when we pray. I hope you hear it when we sing. I hope you hear it when we open God's word. And I hope you hear it when you talk with one another. There were lots of times when I was growing up that I forgot this, that this is why we gather. I went to church because that's what we did on Sundays. Sunday rolled around, Sunday morning we got up, we went to church, went into a building, we heard someone speak, listened to some music. Hopefully the good band was on that Sunday, or the drummer that I knew, whatever it was, right? And then maybe went out for lunch after. But the gathering of the church is about so much more than that. We do have the good band on today, by the way. <laughs> we are blessed with many talented musicians. <clears throat> Our key text this morning is going to be from the end of Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can open up and flip there, and we'll get there in a couple minutes. The book of Acts is the record of the beginning of the church. And so if we want to learn what church is all about, what the church is all about, it's a good place to go. Uh, a little bit of a caveat I'll throw in there. Sometimes... If we've been around Acts, and especially Acts chapter 2 a little bit, we look back at those early years and think, man, if we could just get there, everything would be great. If we could just be the Acts church, everything would be amazing. I've said that. Maybe you have too. But when we actually read those opening chapters, when we read really all of Acts, it's not actually all roses, is it? Yes, the Holy Spirit moves in amazing ways, for sure. And we should, and we, we do long for that to happen again. But there's also plenty of conflict and disagreement and struggles and questions and deception and even racism. The list goes on. And so we don't want to look back and think they had everything figured out. But on the flip side, we don't think, want to look at our day today and think we have it all figured out either. And so the question I think we need to ask ourselves often is, how much of the way I think about church is my modern Western way of thinking versus actual biblical truth? Now that question kind of rocked me a bit this week because I realized that probably some of my thoughts, the way I interpret the world, the way I interpret our gatherings, the way I interpret all these things, are more shaped by the North American model I've grown up in than by the Bible. And that's a little bit scary. Now listen, though. The modern Western culture, despite its flaws, which are many, has brought about a lot of good in societies that have embraced it. We, can't, we don't want to argue with that. It's brought about freedom and, and individualism, and it's, it's raised up minorities, and these are good things. Yet the modern Western way of coming to Jesus can also be deeply flawed because it leaves us saying, I can follow God my own way. I get to decide how I approach this, much like how I approach education, work, uh, all the other things, right? Maybe you've thought that, maybe you've heard someone else say that. I'm going to come to God like this. 
The problem is when we make a statement like that, what we're doing is we're taking our North American consumer mentality and then reading that into the Bible and reading that into how we do church, and it's actually harmful to us. It's this kind of thinking that is leading a lot of people right now to deconstruct and walk away from their faith. If, if the life I've built, the life I've chosen, the way I've decided to follow Jesus, all of a sudden doesn't seem to work the way I hoped, maybe I add a little something else into it. Or maybe I just straight up abandon it and say, well, I chose this, it didn't go, so I'm going to try to choose some other way to find fulfillment and meaning and purpose and identity in life. There's a sense in our culture that we get to pick and choose the way we follow God, but, but that comes from our time and place, not from the Bible. Uh, at home, we've been reading through the Old Testament with Jaden, our son, before bed, and he wanted to start at Genesis and just chop through one chapter at a time. And let me tell you, it's brought up some interesting conversations because there are some hard passages in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. But one thing that's abundantly clear, especially as you get into those later chapters of Exodus and into Leviticus, is that God does in fact have a specific way that he wants to be followed. He's given us instructions on how to worship him. Obviously, in light of Jesus in the New Testament, it's different than the Old Testament, but he says often, this is how you will worship, and this will be a pleasing aroma to, my, to me, right? I was reading the Psalms also this week, and, and so many times the author made some kind of statement like, here's the kind of worship you desire, God. And so as we are wrestling with these things, the next question we need to ask is, what does it mean to follow someone? If, if you are actually following someone, can you do that your own way? Think about this. I'm going to go visit friends or family somewhere else in the country, a city I'm not familiar with maybe, so I hop on an airplane, fly over to, to Winnipeg, and uh, my brother-in-law meets me at the airport and says, listen, we've got to pick up a van because we've got a lot of stuff. So I go to the car rental booth. I got my van. He says, okay, I'll meet you there. Follow me to my house. It's about 20 minutes away. No problem. You'll get there. Now, can I say, even in the age of Google Maps and GPS and whatever else, I mean, he thinks he's going his way, but I'm going to get to his house my way because that's just how I operate. Can you actually do that? Will it actually end well for me to try and weave my way through the city to get there? Probably not. Following doesn't work like going your own way. See, following by definition requires a leader. If you're going to follow someone, you need that someone to be leading you. You can't really decide, well, the leader said this, but I'm going to do this thing instead. You're no longer following at that point. Which leads to the next important question. If Jesus is a real person, which as Christians we believe that he is, wouldn't he have an opinion on how we should follow him? Probably, right? Now our modern mindset says, I'm going to engage God on my own terms in a way that suits me, in a way that's comfortable, in a way that's culturally relevant. But what does God say? Because that's way more important. When we read the text, we see that God's primary way for engaging with us is actually not as individuals. It's as a people. I've said it before. You've heard it before. But so many of the, the you in the Bible, the you's in the Bible, should actually be better read as y'all or all y'alls. So now when you come to the text, I want you to have a southern twang as you read these commands. All y'alls be doing this. 
couple of examples that I will no longer say all y'alls in, but here they are from the Bible. After leading Moses and the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, God says this, I will take you as my people. A group, right? That's not one individual he's picking. And I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. In Jeremiah 30, it says, And you will be my people, and I will be your God. First uh, Peter 2, verse 9, But you, all y'all, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We can find a ton more of these. But the point is God seems to primarily choose to engage us as a people, not as individuals. So now, you come back to Acts chapter 2, you look at the early church, you need to look at it with this understanding that God primarily engages us together, not as individuals, but together. So, why do we gather? Again, primarily to make much of Jesus. We also gather because gathering is one of the primary ways God engages with us. We get together and God speaks. All right. Acts 2, I'm going to start at verse 37. This text, as we parachute in, Peter has just finished preaching basically the first sermon in the history of the church. And verse 37 says this. When they heard this, the people that he was preaching to heard his sermon, they were cut to the heart. The New Living Translation says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? These first listeners, they were rocked by what they heard. They were rocked by this message of, of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And they didn't know what to do with this new information. And so they cried out to the disciples, to the apostles, What do we do with this? And Peter replied in verse 38, Repent, turn, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to the church. At the heart of why we gather is the recognition that we need Jesus and that we need redemption from our sin. This is where Jesus comes into the gathering. We, we, can't, we recognize that we can't make ourselves whole or good or right by all of our own works. And we need Jesus to do it for us. And so we repent. We turn to Jesus. And he forgives our sin. And then we get baptized as an outward profession of the inward work of the Holy Spirit, piercing our hearts and calling us to something. And so we gather to remind ourselves and to remind one another that we still need Jesus' grace we still need redemption. We still need forgiveness. We're here because we need to be reminded that we are prone to wander, which, wander, which we will sing in just a couple of minutes, that we are apt to go our own way, that our hearts cool at times. And the gathering reminds us that we all need Jesus and that we all don't have it together. Then look at the next verses in Acts 2. They start to describe the, the rhythms and the practices that this early church would apply that would help them apply Jesus' message to their lives. Acts 2, verse 42. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first one on the list there, the first thing that the early church devoted themselves to as they followed Jesus was to the apostles' teaching. Now, if you are with us last week, do you remember who the apostles were? 
These were the guys, most of them were the disciples. They were guys who had spent time with Jesus. They were handpicked and commissioned by Jesus. They'd been with him. They'd been mentored by him. They'd spent time with him after his resurrection. So they understood how the Old Testament, how the scriptures of the day pointed towards Jesus. And so the apostles taught, they preached, and the people, the gathering, the church, they devoted and committed themselves to understand that teaching and, and let it work in and through them. And the Holy Spirit would work through those messages and people were, verse 37, cut to the heart. Later in the New Testament, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, tells Timothy, who he's mentoring and who is a pastor of a church, to keep on preaching, to preach the word, he says. But he says to do this for other reasons as well. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 2. He says, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So when we gather, someone preaches. We open up the word and we let it speak to us. But the world around us is constantly preaching to us as well. Our world is filled with other worldviews and ideologies, and we're bombarded day in and day out with all sorts of other messages. They come in the form of, of media, news, social media, online, books, seminars, classes, universe, whatever. And all these things can be in front of us all the time. But look at verse 46, Acts 2, 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. This early church devoted themselves to hearing the apostles' teaching daily, regularly, all the time. Now, we currently do not have a service every single day, and it's not on the menu to start one every single day anytime soon. So how do we do this? Well, we can connect with one another between services, right? There's 167 other hours in the week where you can connect with people. We can uh, join a small group. We can create a regular informal gathering where we can meet and, and challenge one another with what we're reading in our five-day Bible plan. You can start reading through a plan in you version and, and invite others to commit to reading it with you. And then also as a group, commit to filling out that, that pesky, what did the Lord say in this passage section at the end of the plan. The challenge here is for each one of us to own this ourselves. We too need to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We've mentioned this before, but even before COVID, average attendance for self-identified Christians was 1.7 to 2.3 times a month. And that number has only gone down in the last two years. Now let me say this. Just coming to a gathering twice a month, even every week, is not enough for our spiritual formation. It's not enough for us. We can't get enough out of that hour a week to be following Jesus. The early church, much like us today, more than we have today even. They had all sorts of other pressures and worldviews telling them how they should live. They were under the, the weight of Rome. And so they committed themselves to gather regularly and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the message of Jesus, so that they would know how to stand up for their faith in the midst of a world that was hostile towards them. Again, for us, only having a couple few hours a month invested in how we follow Jesus and, and are formed into his likeness as we follow him means that there are hundreds of other hours every single week where 
other preaching is forming us, whether that's our social media feeds, our newspaper, the people around us, our politics, our news, all the things, right? So preaching and teaching, devoting ourselves to the teaching is a big reason for gathering. But what else? Verse 42 again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let's talk about fellowship for just a minute. It's a word that's likely used too lightly in our churches today. The church we were at before had a fellowship hall in the basement. And when we went into that hall, that's where we fellowshiped. Or that's where the youth played floor hockey on Friday nights, whatever it was. But this word fellowship is something so much deeper than that. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, which implies a, a deep communion or association or partnership. And it can even point to a, like a joint ownership. And so for the church, fellowship means a deep level of mutual participation, united by what we have in common, and that is Jesus. It always strikes me on Sundays when we do gather and I look out and I was like, man, why are we together? We don't all, we don't all golf. We don't all hike. We don't all ski. We don't all what, whatever. The unifying thing for all of us, the only reason we would ever all be in the same room together is Jesus. And that's an amazing thing. That means that our gatherings on Sunday, that's our rallying cry. It's the moment when we come together and we share with one another the wins and the losses of the past week or weeks. It's where we build one another up and we remind one another of our mission. This gathering, it's meant to be a, a deep participation together, sharing in mission with one another. And that's how the Sundays inform our everyday we come together and we, we bear one another's burdens. We, we call out one another's goods and we point towards Jesus and point one another towards Jesus so that we can go into the everyday and make much of him. Now, COVID has thrown a wrench into some of this as we have limited capacity and, and also have seen the rise of online church. And so let me talk about online church for just a minute or two. And if you're watching online, we love you. I'm glad you tuned in. But over the past many decades, long before there was online, let alone online church, the church has come up with ways for people to hear a message without being in the building, right? I've got a box of cassette tapes in my office that someone sent me of some preaching. Who has cassettes at home from sermons in the past? Or has, maybe not right now, but you find if I have cassettes on the thing anymore, we're getting rid of these. That was the point of the, the sermon tape, right? That if you missed a Sunday, you could come, you could pick it up, you could catch up on the message. But the goal, I don't think the goal of the cassette ministry, which became CDs, which became podcasts, which is now YouTube and live streaming, I don't think the goal is to replace the gathering. And I hope it isn't because it cannot replace the gathering. All of these things, they're, they're a supplement, not a replacement. And so here's my sort of working philosophy on online church in this context. I can't speak to other churches and the way they're doing things, but here's sort of how I formulated it. This will shift, this will change, but here's where we're at. Online church meets a need for people who are away or who missed a week and want to catch up on a message, just like the tape, just like the CD, or who can't attend in person due to illness or whatever else. But it's not, in our context especially, or at least, it's not a true replacement for gathering in person. Online church can also be a great connection point. If someone wants to get a sense of who we are as a church, the kind of preaching that we have, the kind of music we have, all these sorts of things, 
you can get on our website, click a link, and be a part of a gathering and be pretty much completely anonymous. And so online church can be a really good outreach tool. The message links are easy to share when, they, when we post them. They're easy to compile and have a, as a podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever else. And everybody that we want to reach with the message of the gospel is already online. So we need to be there. Over these COVID months, we've had a number of people who regularly join us online. And like every week, are logging in online, either Facebook or on our website or wherever else. And they, they don't live here in the Bow Valley. And I love this. I'm thankful for you. We've main, maintained connection to some people who have been a part of Trinity and moved away, and that's beautiful, and we love it. And there's others that may have a link to Trinity that are connecting online because they know someone. Hi, Mom. <laughs> but here's my honest prayer, that everyone who tunes in online would find a live, local gathering and devote themselves to that. And if I or we can help at all with that, I would love to help with that. I might get a little bit of pushback on that, but here's some of the reasons. Again, this is a working philosophy, but here's why I feel this way. Again, Acts 2.37, the listeners of the sermon were pierced to the heart. They knew they needed to do something about it. Hebrews 4.12, reads, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews 10.24, so let us consider how we can continue to spur one another on towards love and good works. Now, I love jumping online and listening to a podcast, a sermon podcast on the app or while I walk or while I listen, listening to other people preach. It is a great resource, a great tool. I'm challenged. I'm sharpened as a teacher and a preacher myself. And there's a lot of things that the word of God can do in my heart through a podcast, through an online sermon, no question. But when I watch alone or when I listen to a sermon while I'm working out or going on a walk or whatever it might be in my headphones, and when I'm then pierced to the heart, there's nobody around me to exclaim, brothers, what should I do? And there's no one around me that, the know, that knows that the word of God has just judged my thoughts and intentions of my heart. And there's no one in the room to spur me on to love and good deeds. There's no accountability there. So all of a sudden, it's really easy for me to just carry on with my day to not deal with that pesky thing that the Holy Spirit has brought up because it's going to you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. It might make, mean I have to make some changes. And instead, I can just switch the tracks on my phone and carry on with my day. I need people around me. Otherwise, I quench the working of the Holy Spirit through that message. I do it all the time. That's why when we do have an online service, we, we staff that service with a host. So there's at least some ability for connection. When the Word of God pierces your heart, you can hit that little prayer button and there's somebody there to pray with you. There's, there's someone to connect to you and pass you on to an elder or myself or whatever. There's at least something there. So online church, it's a supplement, but it's not the same. And some of the data coming out right now is showing that the long-term effects of online-only church, they're actually not that positive. That's not to say it can't be done well or that it's not being done, done well in some contexts. But just that consuming content on a screen or through a podcast or however, it's not enough. The church needs fellowship. It needs koinonia. We long for it. 
We need to be in one another's lives as uncomfortable as that can be. Now, there are multiple lists in my office of very, uh, and also in various recycled bins of these kinds of fellowship, koinonia events that we've had to rethink, delay, or cancel over the last months, but we need it. One pastor writes, the church absolutely has to have koinonia. We are created by God for a unique mission and purpose. And when we're united to that in fellowship, in this deeply connected people, a deep level of participation in what we have in common, then we can help people learn the ways of Jesus. We need one another to make much of Jesus. So the church gathers for fellowship. What else do we do? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. We gather to share meals. I spent time in a Baptist church and in Calgary and grew up in Baptist churches, and, and we could eat, right? Especially uh, the German Baptist churches, and there was a fellowship hall, right? We could just call it the potluck room because, man, Think about how many significant events in lives happen around food. Let's go for coffee. Let's have a meal. Let's celebrate a birthday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the things, right? There's always food around. And so I think this is part of it. They gather to, to break bread, to have a meal together. But it goes beyond that too, and it talks about us taking communion together, the Lord's Supper together. We gather so that we can remind one another and ourselves of the sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. The church also prays together. That's the last one in the list in that verse there. And we're going to look more at prayer in a couple of weeks, and, and Mike and Gary, two of our elders, are going to take that Sunday for us, and I'm excited to hear what they have to see, what they have to say, excuse me. But as we gather and we, we pray together, we do so because prayer is one of the primary ways that we communicate with God, and He communicates with us. We speak to him, and, and he speaks to us. Well, what else? Look down at verse 46 and 47. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house, and they ate food with joyful and sincere hearts. In verse 47, and they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. They enjoyed one another's company, and they praised God together. That's why we sing. That's why throughout the whole history of the people of God, they have sung to one another. That's what the Psalms are as well, right? For thousands of years, God's people have been singing. Well, so what? As we kind of wrap this up, what do we miss when we don't gather? Well, first, all those things we just talked about, we miss out on all those things. We can do them alone. It's maybe not the same, as I hope we've talked about but we don't get to do them together. And we're going to dig into more about what it means to, to be community next week in our next value. Uh, but the New Testament phrase, one another, shows up about 100 times. 59 of those times are commands. Do this together. Serve one another. Love one another. Carry one another's burdens. All these things. And you can't, as we said a couple weeks ago, you cannot one another yourself. You have to do that in community. So we need one another. But what else do you miss? Look at verse 43, Acts 2, 43. And everyone was filled with awe when they gathered. And many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Now those signs and wonders might look different in our day than they did in that day, but, but the awe can, I think, and should still be there. And signs and wonders can still happen. Verse 40, <coughs> excuse me, 44. 
And all the believers worked together and they held things in common. And they sold possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. There's power in the gathering. There's power when, when God's people meet. There's an electricity almost of the Holy Spirit that's in each one of us. And as, as you come together, and we come together, all of a sudden there's like more and more Holy Spirit, which is maybe not a thing, but, but as we gather, right, he's, he's here in each one of us and we're all gathered together. Do we expect him to show up? Do we expect to come on a Sunday morning and be in awe of what God has done or is doing or continues to do? What would it look like if, if every time we walked in the room on Sunday morning, we kind of took a minute at the door and was like, okay, something, something's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to move. God's going to work in someone's heart. God might have a word for me. God might have a word from me to someone else. Like, what if we came expecting to be filled with awe at what God was doing? And when the church, count, when the church gathers, it gathers as a counter-cultural community. It has a different set of values. It has a different leader. It has a different everything in the world around us. Right? Peter said, we're chosen people. We're, we're set apart to proclaim the glory of God, uh, to the light in the darkness. Right? When we find ourselves as the church reliant on God to provide all that we need, it really frees us up to be a generous people, a people who, who look out for others, who use their, their time, their talents, their abilities, their skills, their money to, to build one another up. And that's a big deal. This morning, we have looked at a number of reasons why we gather, and there are likely many more. But we said that Sundays matter, the gatherings matter. Ultimately, we gather to make much of Jesus, to lift up his name. We gather to remind ourselves that that Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, was sent to earth by God himself, knowing that all humanity had walked away. And it's that sin that led to his death. Jesus came and, and led a perfect life of obedience to the Father, but he went to the cross for us. And then he was raised to life on the third day, conquering death and proclaiming to anyone who puts their faith in him that we could claim his death as our own and we could be brought back to life. By putting our faith in him and saying that we need Jesus, that we need the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, it, it transforms us as we allow Jesus to lead us, and we're adopted into the family of God, and we become ambassadors for Christ. We've been given the same mission to, to go and speak God's gospel to the world, to gather in embassies and outposts all around the world for his kingdom, so that one day everyone would know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that it does instruct us and challenge us and convict us. And Jesus, forgive me for when I've come to a gathering because, well, it's Sunday, so here we are. It's what I need to do. I pray for me and us that, that as we think about actually why we get in a room together, that we would start to look forward with anticipation the time where, where we show up and might be filled with awe and wonder at all that you've been up to, that all that you're doing, where we can hear again the stories of redemption for each one of us and, and how you've worked in and through us for your namesake and for your glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' good name.
Amen. Ich sehe das.